Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an infectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Bob. Well, if you're with us for the first time, um, we've been re-examining the concept of faith. And I say concept because uh, many of us bring to the idea of faith our own kind of experiences, our own interpretations. Several weeks ago when we started this series, we actually brainstormed as a congregation using our phones and said, when you hear the word faith, what comes to mind? And so we shared a, a variety of words, trust, belief, confidence, all sorts of uh, words come to mind. For some of us, though, the word faith it becomes so familiar, it becomes synonymous with things that we don't like or things that we do like. Um, and so as we've been re-examining faith, we've tried to get to the origin of our Christian faith in particular. We have faith in all sorts of things, but what about the Christian faith is unique? And so for us as believers, shouldn't be a surprise, the origin of our faith is Christ himself, Jesus Christ. So we've been looking at who he is and what it means to place our faith in Jesus. And so in doing that, I hope what you've heard in the last few weeks is that faith is not something you muster up in yourself. It's not a mysterious force. If I just have enough of it, then these things will happen. But that faith is firmly grounded in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is clearly the expression of God himself. And so when we talk about the origin of faith, the bedrock of faith, it is firmly placed in Jesus. I was thinking as we were singing some of the songs that clearly have themes of faith in them, who has been an example of faithfulness in my life? Think about that for you. Who's somebody you know that like no matter the season, no matter the context, no matter what they're going through, they have displayed faithfulness? The first person that comes to mind for me is my own father. And many of you know he passed away uh, at the beginning of this year. 
Uh, I got to know my dad my entire life, so 44 years. And I saw him go through different circumstances. Um, the loss of his parents. I remember when my grandparents died and how that affected him and how he remained solid in who he was during that time. When my parents divorced, my mom left him and he was devastated by that. I saw him still remain true to who he was. When he had siblings of mine go astray and he was heartbroken over that, he remained who he was. When I was younger, who my dad was actually drove me nuts. <laughs> His particular sense of humor, how he was always happy in the morning, you know, when I was just trying to drag myself out of bed. But he was always the same person in season and out of season. His last words, I shared some of these with you. I was sitting in his hospital room as cancer was ravaging his body, and he was at peace. He had gone through all of these things in life, joys and challenges, but he was at peace, and he said, I guess what I, I saw what I needed to see, and I heard what I needed to hear. His dying moment, he was a picture of, of faithfulness. He was always there. God places these people in our lives, I think, to reflect what that looks like. And some of us maybe don't have that. Maybe you've never had somebody that's been the same person in and out of season, no matter what's going on. Some of the songs that we sing, we, we, those are grounded in who God is, that he is unchanging, that he is always good. I love the line of, the, of one of the last songs we sang. It says, uh, when temptation comes my way, you know, teach me to trust in you. When I, when I fall, may I fall into you. I'm paraphrasing that, but the idea of, of God always receiving us in that way. And so this is our sure foundation as believers, that God is not moody. He does not get, grow tired of us or get disgusted with us, but he is always loving, always good, always forgiving, always trusting, always, always uh, faithful to us. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to get into an aspect of faith that we've talked about, but faith is both a noun and a verb. Faith is a noun and a verb. What I mean by that is faith is something that we believe. There's a, there's a, a groundedness in our, in our intellect, in our mind. We go, this is what I trust in. That's the noun part of it. But then there is a verb. If we really do trust in it, then there's a resulting action in that. So faith is a noun and a verb. And we see this throughout Scripture, even through the stories we've talked about, when Peter said to Jesus, hey, if it's really you, tell me to take a step. Well, that's a verb, right? I'm going to now put some faith in action. But so much of our Christian faith, I'm going to be honest, is only a noun. It only lives in our head. We only speak out some words and we, we comfortably nod to it. But that's an incomplete faith. That's actually an immature faith. And so this morning, we're going to look at a, a, a portion of Scripture that really challenges us to consider, is our faith a verb? Is there action behind it? And to do that, we're going to look at the, um, the book of James. We're not going to look at the whole book, but Pastor Bob just read part of it. Honestly, the entire book kind of focuses on this. James is one of my favorite authors because he's direct. I'm a direct guy. Just tell me what you're thinking. I don't want to have to guess. He's, he gives some good, explicit examples. He doesn't pull any punches. So if you're easily offended, um, you can get mad at James today, not me. I'm just delivering the mail. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to James chapter 2. Again, Bob just read James, uh, part of James 1. Really, 1 and 2, there's this complete thought where James is pushing us 
to consider what faith really is, what a mature faith looks like. So James chapter 2, I'm just going to read three verses or four verses, 14 through 17. And you can follow along with me, but I'll also be on the screen. James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James gives a, a, a practical example here that has been convicting for me over the years. How many times in the Christian world does somebody come up to us and say, I'm dealing with this thing, or I'm, I'm, I have this issue in my life, and we say, I'll pray for you. Then we walk away. We don't do anything about it. James is one of, again, one of my favorite books of the Bible because of how direct it is. In what Bob just read a few minutes ago, he says this, he says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word which is implanted in you, which can save you. And then he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. How can listening to the word, just listening to it, deceive us? Because if, it, if faith is just a noun, it just lives in our head and we think that's enough, then we're deceived. What we believe has to, if we really believe it, manifest itself in something more than just our mind. So James' challenge to us can be summed up like this. Don't just tell me, show me. Less talk, more action. My wife Jessica and I have been married 20 years, and we've lived in five different places since we have been married, starting with a teeny little apartment, and now we live in a house because we have four children. We've lived in, so we've lived in five, of those, five different places, and in a couple of those places that we've moved to, we've moved during kind of like the late winter, early springtime, and as we moved into our house, um, there were plants in the yard, and we didn't know what those plants were, most of them, because they didn't have leaves and because we're just not plant people. Like, we're, I'm not a botanist. You know, I, don't, I can't just look at a plant and go, oh, it's that. Um, now, I, I could have hired somebody, you know, and said, hey, tell me what this plant is. But I knew if I just waited, eventually I'd figure out what these plants are. Our very first home that we moved in out of an apartment, we had what looked like to me, I was pretty sure was a fruit tree in our backyard. But I had no idea what kind. And so what did I do? I waited. And when the leaves came out, well, I still didn't know what it was. But then it had, began to have buds. And eventually I realized, oh, we have a peach tree in our backyard. I'd never lived in a place that had a peach tree. And I love peaches, juicy peaches. And I remember that, that first summer we lived there, that thing produced more peaches than we could stay on top of picking. So many as they were falling to the ground, our youngest at the time would literally just pick them up off the ground and start eating them. I loved that peach tree. 
Uh, when we moved here into Renton, we had a vine growing on our fence. Actually, we had two vines. And we were like debating, well, what, what could it be? What, is it some kind of ornamental plant? Is it going to have flowers on it? Again, we didn't know because it didn't have any leaves on it. Eventually, as the summer went on and the leaves popped out, we found out we had grapes growing along our backyard, which I've still never really eaten because the squirrels get to them in time. But. <laughs> so this, this, is, this is true of plants, but it's also true of people, right? You don't have to be a botanist to figure out what kind of fruit you have in your backyard, and you don't have to be a sociologist to figure out what people believe and what they value. You just have to wait. Just watch them. Watch their lives. See how they spend their money. See how they spend their time. See how they interact with people in their relationships. And you will quickly see what they believe about themselves, what they believe about the world around them, what they believe around other people. In a lot of ways, we're just like a tree. This is, I'm going to give you an illustration I've shared before, but this is really helpful to me in kind of diagnosing what I believe and, and what it produces in my life. So if we were to think of ourselves as a tree, the roots of the tree are our beliefs. They're what we've placed our trust in, what we, what we believe about the world, about ourselves. And based on what we believe, we, out of that, we then have values. And our values kind of uphold our life. And based on our values, we then make decisions. And then those decisions, they produce something. There is actions or behavior. So if you want to know why somebody is, certain things are happening in somebody's life, you can actually walk back down the tree too and say, oh, they are acting this way because of some decisions they made, some values they have, and ultimately about what they believe about themselves and the world around them. So how do you know Someone really believes what they say. How do you know someone really believes what they say? Well, again, eventually, if you just wait, you'll see. You'll see what we believe. You'll see the actions and the results in our life. Uh, uh, quick question, because last night I was pulling the, the curtains closed in my front room, and there was just this massive spider has anybody had, it's that season, right? Spider season in the Pacific Northwest. They're all coming inside. How many of you would say you're uh, not afraid, not afraid of spiders? Okay, a handful of you. So, <laughs> so I, have a, I have a question then. Um, if I were to tell you there's a spider crawling up your, th no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> People say things, right, until then they're faced with the reality of that thing, and then you respond a certain way. So James is talking, he's challenging the church to consider, is what they believe actual in their life? And he gives that example. As a church family, we want to display a mature Faith. We want to bear fruit that is in line with what our beliefs are. And so mature faith believes the truth of God's word, is connected to God relationally through prayer, and responds in action. And we could go around, I could share a lot of stories right now about folks in our church 
ways that I have seen a response of this belief that we have, this faith that we have. Um, last year, we, we, as a church, agreed to put together a specific fund in our budget so that we could help people in need in our community. Mo- many churches, and we've had this for years, have what we call a benevolence fund. A benevolence fund is for church members that are in need that we can help them make rent, pay utilities, some, some crisis happens in their life. When Earlier this year when Brian Williams died tragically, because of your generosity and because of our values as a church, we were able to help her and her kids, not just financially, but some of you sprung into action and began to take meals to her. Some of you showed up and mowed her lawn. We saw this faith in action. It wasn't just a, oh, good, we'll pray for you, but many of you sprung into action. As a result, we also have this, again, this community assistance fund. And so uh, you may not know this, but almost every week somebody calls the church office with a need. I can't make rent. I'm behind on utilities. My car's just about to run out of gas. Can you help? So we have a couple of ways that we say yes. We want to say yes as much as we can. One is we actually have uh, on hand in the office gift cards. You stop by, you need help, no questions asked, here's a gift card. Go get some gas, go get some groceries. Number two, we have this, we actually have a fund that, that again, we agreed to last year. And recently, we had somebody in our community reach out because a family member of theirs had died. And if you know, when somebody dies, it costs thousands of dollars to take care of the, the burial, whether it's cremation or not. Thousands of dollars. And so we were able to say, yes, we can help you bury one of your relatives. So this is a, this is a, a way that we as a church respond. We don't just say, well, well, we'll pray for you. As a church, we respond tangibly as well. There's a, a, a personal response too, though, that we're challenged to do. So there's this corporate, we're all in it together But there's also a personal response to faith. If we say we believe, if we say we want to follow Jesus, and what that means really is that we've accepted his offer of forgiveness. We have have believed that because of what Jesus has done, we can be right with God. So if we say we believe that, then there is some application to that, isn't there? And James gives a few examples. He says, get rid of moral filth in your life. Like, stop acting like you were before. Stop looking at those things on the internet. Stop drinking to excess. Stop being immoral sexually in your relationships. Get rid of that stuff. That's one example James gives. He gives another example. He says, watch what you say. Earlier in Proverbs, it says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. You can say, out of the overflow of your heart, your fingers tweet. <laughs> Watch what you say. Is what you say, your, that's actions, that's fruit. Is that in line with your beliefs? And he says, stay humble. Stay humble. Man, whenever we're about to throw a stone or to condemn another person for their immoral, immoral behavior, Let's make sure that we remember how we got saved in the first place. Not because we did anything, 
but because Jesus did something for us. So we respond as a church corporately together. We pool our money to help resource those in our community, but we also respond individually. Get rid of the moral filth. Watch what we say. Stay humble. These are just a few of the examples that James gives. And these are connected, again, not to like a, a Catholic kind of, you better earn your way into heaven. Oh, you better say a certain amount of Hail Marys when you messed up. Or you better, there's a, there's a whole checklist of good Christian behavior. You need to check each one. No, we don't do these things to earn our favor into God's graces. But we do these things as a result of what? Of our beliefs that we've been made right. And Jesus did the same thing. Jesus backed up what he taught. Jesus was not just a good communicator. Like he wasn't like the first like TED Talk kind of presenter, right? In the Gospels, we see how Jesus said he was God and then backed up his claims of divinity by demonstrating his power over natural laws. Again, he didn't just say it, but he showed it. We also see that alongside of Jesus' teachings, he gave tangible demonstrations. He talked about redemption, how we can be made new, that no matter what our past looks like, we are never too far gone from God. He talked about restoration, that we can be, uh, we can be transformed, we can actually be brought from uh, separate from God to friend of God, from enemy to son and daughter. So Jesus taught these things, but then what did he do? He modeled them. He called sinners, he called the worst people in, in society to be his closest friends. When people were in need, he healed them. He provided food for them. He gave them a place at the table. And in the pinnacle of his influence, Jesus' ultimate demonstration of action was the cross. He didn't just say you're forgiven. He then went and paid the penalty for your sin that kept you separated from God. He put action to his words and he made a way for everything in your life to be right. Later on, the Apostle Paul would say this, and I think we need to recapture this as a church. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. There is a demonstration in the kingdom of God. And that's what we have access to as followers of Jesus. The power of God works through us so that we display fruit that lines up with the righteousness of God himself. When our roots are planted in, our, in the faith of what Jesus has accomplished, then our fruit is made known. So when James talks about a faith that is only based on talk, and he asks this question, what good is it? Is he saying that prayers are useless? Is he saying action is more important than words and the inward confidence of faith? No, he's not. What he's saying is that we need both. Trying to separate the two is like taking the engine out of a boat. You'll be all right. You can still float, but you aren't going anywhere. And so he says, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Some of you this morning, and I can relate to this at times, feel like your faith has dried up. 
your passion is gone. Your motivation to share the message of Jesus, well, not at all. Sometimes our faith can be like this atrophied muscle. We just don't use it. And what leads to the atrophy, maybe it's comfort. Oh, somebody else will do it. Maybe it's just apathy. It's kept you glued to the pew. Under those conditions, our faith weakens and dies. We can make it sound like it's not dead. We can even attend a few events and make it look like it's not dead. But it's like some of the plants we have around in our building here. They look like real plants. Till you go up to them and you go, dust them off a little bit. <laughs> you realize they're made out of plastic. There's a lot of us that feel like those fake plants. From the outside, everybody thinks everything's okay, but from the inside, man, I'm just not sure anymore. James goes on with a bit of a hypothetical argument. I don't know if he had somebody in mind when he was saying this. Maybe he had heard somebody make this comment. But he says in verse 18, he says, Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, again, I don't know if verse 18, this is like a specific mindset or he's just addressing someone specific. But the truth is, believing about God is different than worshiping him. Believing about God is different than trusting him. Believing about God is different than submitting to his truth. The truth is that believing Jesus died and rose again does not mean you're a Christian. Now, Romans 10 says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But James just said, demons believe in God. They just don't worship him. 70% of America believes in God, but far less obey him, submit to him. Lots of people in our churches bob their head to Scripture, but fewer let it affect anything beyond a Sunday gathering. Author Brendan Manning says this. He says, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Lisa Fields says, too many parents are praying that their kids come back to church without realizing that their private life is their child's biggest obstacle to faith. They reject the faith that made you nice in church but nasty at home. So let's be clear here. We are not set free from our sin, reunited with God, and transformed by his power because of anything 
we have done. As Romans 10 says, the declaration of our faith in Jesus will save us. The power of that declaration isn't focused on anything that we've accomplished, but on what Jesus did. Because here's the declaration. Look at this again. Jesus is Lord. Not me. Not my career or my comfort. Not my relationships or my political party. Not my emotions or my desires. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is in charge. The exhortation from James is really, this exhortation from James is really a challenge to examine our roots. Is our faith so foundational to who we are that our values and decisions are directly connected to our beliefs? Faith in Jesus is always meant to be a transformative and transcendent experience. Transformative in that we go away different than when we came to Jesus. Transcendent is that it's, it's supreme over everything else in our life. It's the most important thing. Jesus didn't tell his followers, listen, you've got really busy lives. Your kids are in sports. Your job's demanding. Your hobbies are important. So how about this? Keep doing what you're doing. Let's just try and meet up once a week and just kind of see how things go from there. No, he, he, he didn't say that to his disciples, did he? He said, leave everything you have, come and follow me. Leave everything you have, come and follow me. I'm afraid that in recent decades, the American church has lost its witness to the transformative and transcendent power of Jesus. Many people have a type of kind of religious, easy believism where Jesus is our homeboy. Church is just kind of this superficial gathering. How are you doing? Good. All right. See you next week. And God doesn't actually require anything from us. In fact, we just think God is, is sitting around waiting for us to ask him something. Who on earth would want that kind of faith? A faith that demands nothing, that requires nothing, that leads us nowhere. It is no wonder less people are engaging with church. In this cultural moment, people need to hear and see the gospel of Jesus. Somebody might ask you, why on earth Jenny, why on earth would you humbly pray for people of a different political party than you? Aren't they your enemies? Aren't they who are trying to defeat? And you could say to them, while I may strongly disagree with them, Jesus showed me the better way isn't to wish harm on them or to view them as my enemy, but to pray for them. That's the gospel. Somebody might ask a single person in our church, why on earth would you wait to have sexual relationship with somebody that you like? What's the big deal? Everybody's doing it. 
And you might be able to say to them, listen, I believe that God created sex. And that he has a beautiful design for man and woman to enjoy each other. And that design is in the context of marriage. And it's not just because God doesn't think that's, doesn't want us to have fun. No, he wants us to have the most fun, the most pleasure. And he wants my relationship to flourish, but not just my relationship, but he wants society to flourish. That's why strong marriages are important. Somebody might come up to Nate Corinthians and said, Nate, why on earth would you be giving of your time, of your talent, of your finances to the church, to other people, to ministry purposes? And Nate would be able to say to them, listen, Jesus gave everything of himself for others. And so everything I have is because of him. And my hope is that I can give in such a way that people would see Jesus. As imperfect as our faith may be, we serve a perfect God, a faithful God. And so, church, may our roots be firmly planted in his goodness and faithfulness. Again, think of yourself as a tree. (laughs) May we live into the transformative and transcendent good news of Jesus. And by his grace, because that's all it is, any fruit that we bear is because of his goodness and his grace in our lives. So Father, today we ask that you would continue to do the things that you've always been doing. You've always been doing. You've always been in the business of redeeming lives that are lost of transforming those that are lost in their own sin, of pointing us to a better way, your way. So may we be people whose roots are firmly planted in you. May we have a faith that is both a noun and a verb. And so we repent this morning. I just encourage you, when I say we, let's make it a we. If you need to repent this morning, say, oh God. I I have done things that are not in line with the faith I profess. The conviction of God is so good. Because it puts us right back to where we're supposed to be, in relationship with him. So Father, if we have said things, done things, believe things that are not true. May you show us what those are. We thank you for your grace, which is given to us not because of us, but despite us. (laughs) Continue to do what you do, Lord. Transform us. Redeem us. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.